Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. That is Proverbs 2, verses 10 and 11, and we are going to dive into some wisdom, knowledge, and understanding today while we tackle a very difficult, awkward subject. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining us today for the sixth bonus episode in our series, What Every Adoptive and Foster Parent Needs to Know About trauma, FASD, and adverse childhood experiences, all the stuff, right, with our special guest, Dr. Jared Brown. This series covers vital topics for all of us foster, adoptive, and kinship caregivers. I recommend you take notes during the episodes because you're going to learn a lot of information, stuff that you're going to want to look at again later. I've been taking notes. If you don't have a notebook, handy, feel free to pause the podcast right now so you can go grab uh, some paper and a pen and then uh, you can resume listening and take notes or you can just listen to the whole thing straight through and then sit down later on with a notebook and listen again and, and take down notes at that point. So um, it's it'll be helpful, I find, to take notes because Dr. Jared just has so, so much wisdom, so much information that he provides for us on these important topics. Uh, regular episodes of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast drop into your inbox or onto your device on Mondays. This special series with Dr. Brown, these are bonus episodes and we're bringing them to you on Fridays. Of course, you can listen anytime, but you can always be on the lookout for the bonus episodes. We're we're probably going to do about 15 or so all together. So there's a nice series of really diving deep into trauma, FASD, and all of the things. Uh, If you're not yet a subscriber to this podcast, I would sincerely appreciate it if you would take a moment to subscribe and even leave a review if you catch your podcast on Apple. Uh, It's super simple and it does make a huge impact because when you subscribe, um, it signals to that infamous algorithm uh, that this show is relevant and important And we want all adoptive foster and kinship caregivers to find our show because we know it's a vital resource for this particular parenting journey. So I hope you'll take a moment and subscribe and leave that review. Uh, And if you want to reach out to us to let us know your thoughts, if you have, uh, if you've been encouraged, if you have a comment or a question, um, you can contact me a couple different ways. You can contact me directly by my email. Sandra Flack, JFO at gmail.com or through our ministry website, justicefororphansny.org. Now, to our guest, Dr. Jared Brown is a PhD, 
Uh, he is an assistant professor for Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Jared has also been employed with Pathways Counseling Center in St. Paul for the past 17 years. Pathways provides programs and services benefiting individuals impacted by mental illness and addictions. Jared is also the founder and CEO of the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies and the editor-in-chief of Forensic Scholars Today. Jared has completed four separate master's degree programs and holds graduate certificates in autism spectrum disorder, other health disabilities, and traumatic brain injuries. Jared is also certified as a youth fire setting prevention intervention specialist, an anger resolution therapist, a thinking for a change facilitator, a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder trainer, an autism specialist, and a mental health integrative medicine provider. He just knows a lot of stuff, as you can tell from uh, his credentials. And I've been following Dr. Jared on other podcasts. Um, You can check him out also. There's lots of, if you just Google his name on YouTube, um, you can find a lot of his um, interviews and different things there. But we have him here. So please welcome Dr. Jared Brown. Hey, Jared. Hi, Sandra. How are you doing? I am doing great and just thrilled about our conversations. They're really like therapy sessions for me, to be quite <laughs> honest. And um, so far in this series, we've discussed prenatal trauma, adverse childhood experiences, developmental trauma, the adverse effects of screen time on kids, and just so much more. And today we're going to tackle an often uncomfortable, at least for me, topic, Um, but it's just of utmost importance, um, especially to us uh, adoptive and foster caregivers. Um, Today we're going to tackle FASD and inappropriate sexual behavior. That's our topic. And uh, my husband and I have parented eight kids. Our oldest is 32. Our youngest is 17. The youngest to diagnosed with FAS. Um, and I admit that this is the hardest stage of parenting that we have ever experienced because I'm discovering that the hormones in the bodies of teenage boys with the developmental age of seven to 10 years old makes life complicated stressful, scary. (laughs) So Jared, what, um, you know, for us parents and caregivers listening, you know, we pretty much understand what inappropriate sexual behaviors are, but would you explain for us why this is such a serious problem when it comes to individuals who've been prenatally exposed to alcohol? Yeah, you bet. Thank you, Sandra, again, for allowing me back and being able to chat with you and your audience. And this is a tough topic, no doubt about it. And just to give your audience just a little background on where I come from with this topic, I've actually written several articles related to FASD and sexually inappropriate behavior. I've given some professional talks to different groups. I've actually consulted on multiple cases around the country with different professionals and caregivers related to this very topic. I get emails a lot from different folks who have read my articles or or heard me chat on a podcast. 
And this is one of the number one reasons why people reach out to me is about this very topic is when my son who has FASD engages in inappropriate sexual behavior, what do we do about it? Why is this happening? There's not a lot of research specifically on this. There's a handful of studies and articles out there. But uh, several decades ago, there was a, a study done by Streiskoof and Associates in 1996. And I'm sure your audience is very familiar with her work. And she's had some wonderful studies and books on this topic. In her particular study, what they found from their sample of folks with FASD, about 49% of the folks in their sample who had an FASD ended up engaging in some form of inappropriate sexual behavior. There's not a lot of statistics out there. Does that mean that worldwide that half of people with FASD engage in sexually inappropriate behavior? I don't know, but I do know it does happen. And there is a minority of individuals that have FASD that do engage in this kind of behavior. So I would definitely recommend checking out her article. And you can just go online and type in my name and type in this topic. You will find several articles online as well about this. But if we were to go through all the research and kind of compile it into some different bullet points, why does this happen among people with FASD? The research leans to the fact impulsivity is a factor. So not being able to kind of put on the brakes and pause and reflect. So if someone with FASD has a strong sexual urge or desire, they may be less likely to kind of put on the brakes and, and stop and say, maybe this is not appropriate to do. So impulsivity, we absolutely need to take into account. Oftentimes when we talk about the topic of impulsivity, it's used interchangeably with self-control deficits, self-regulation deficits, problems with inhibition. All of those things fall under the umbrella of executive function. An executive function is the boss of the brain, the CEO of the brain. Some people call it like the, almost the air traffic controller. So it controls all the operations, day-to-day -day thinking and processing and decision-making. So when you study this topic, learn about executive function and all the things that go around that as well. Another thing that comes up in this research literature is that inability to learn from past mistakes. So maybe the person said something inappropriate to someone or made an inappropriate gesture or even acted on an inappropriate impulse and the caregiver or the professional taught that individual, this is not appropriate. This might be more appropriate for a private behavior versus a public behavior. There's cases I've consulted on where the individual has engaged in inappropriate behavior in public settings that have brought them into contact with criminal justice system. So that inability to learn from mistakes is another factor to take into account. Perseveration comes up in this literature. So if someone has that compulsive element, that thinking about it, the rumination, they perseverate on it over and over and over again, that's a factor. People may perseverate on lots of different things. When the person perseverates on sex, 
that might not be a good thing. And there have been a number of cases too, where the individual has had a perseveration with pornography as well and really got thrusted into that online world. So we really need to take into account not just what they do day to day in the real world, but are they doing things in the online world as well that can be just as risky or dangerous? Big factor to consider too is what is their chronological age and how does that compare to their emotional social and developmental age. Universally, you always hear this. I don't know if it's a fact that it applies to everybody with FASD, but a lot of people always say that someone with FASD functions at half their chronological age. I've seen it where they function way more or less than their chronological age by half. Some, they may be a few years younger, but I would say overwhelming majority do not function at their chronological age. So let's say you have a 16-year-old child or a teenager with FASD has a 16-year-old body, but the thinking maybe of a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, whatever it is. Sometimes some of the cases I've consulted on, the individual with FASD has been a teenager or a young adult, but all of their friends are much younger. They might be able to get away with that when they're 15 or 16 and their friend group is 13, 14, somewhere there. But you can't really get away with that too much when you become adult. an adult. That can be very tricky. And if there is inappropriate sexual behavior, any kind of sexual behavior going on, and that person is over the age of 18, there could be issues depending on the state you live in with statutory issues and underage things. And there have been several cases too, where the person went online and shared inappropriate images with someone. And those images were shown to someone who lived in another state. So there's a whole slew of legal considerations to take into account. What about personal boundaries? Someone that doesn't understand personal space doesn't understand the difference between how you approach or interact with someone you know versus a stranger or someone who's an adult versus a child. So it's important, I think, when we think of that, consider emotional intelligence, social intelligence, pragmatic language, I think would be important to consider. What is that person's pragmatic language like? If you're not familiar with the topic of pragmatic language, that's basically our use of language in social situations. Do we know how to start a conversation? Do we know how to end a conversation? Just how we talk to people within that social context. And Sandra, I'll talk a little bit about abstract reasoning and thinking. That's a big, 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 big topic to consider. I'll, I'll hold that for a minute and I'll come back to that in a second. I think some other things too, we need to take into account the person's theory of mind capabilities, which relate to perspective taking, and there's elements of empathy in there. So does the person struggle with perspective taking? Do they have dysfunctional or disordered empathy? where maybe they struggle with understanding empathy or facial recognition and they have a hard time detecting if that person really wants to talk to them or not. 
absolutely consider the topics of confabulation and suggestibility. We need to consider that as well. When we talk about executive function, consider judgment issues. So the person may have lower levels of just making good judgment, which can trickle down into contributing to issues of like lacking awareness, lacking self-awareness, but awareness of others. And then does that person lack awareness in terms of now they're placing themselves in very risky situations that set them up for disaster? Maybe they have a reduced ability to think strategically as well. We know people with FASD absolutely struggle with strategic thinking, that cause and effect and linking what I do now to how that may impact someone else or me or my family later on. And then the topics of like consent and just misinterpretation of intent. Maybe the person misinterpreted that that individual wanted to have a relationship with them when in fact, absolutely was not the case. I'll, I'll stop for a minute, Sandra. I want to see if you had any thoughts. And then if I could come back to abstract reasoning for a few minutes, just so people know that topic and why that's so important to be aware of when we talk about this within the context of sexually inappropriate behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so much. Um, I know one thing I was thinking when you when you were talking about the social emotional age, because that's exactly what one of my concerns is. I have a 17 year old who really on several levels is really like a seven year old. And if a seven year old does something, you know, somewhat inappropriate, it's not as big of a deal as if the 17 year old does it. So. Um, it can be scary, you know, as a parent to be, you know, concerned. And I've, we've, 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 I know we'll, we'll get to with the things parents can do, but we've gotten, you know, I've been learning and, and discussing some of these things with him. And, and I know you're going to get to the abstract, uh, abstract concepts in, in a moment, but just being very, very simple and very, to the point with what we're teaching, kind of a script um, and having to review that every day, you know, to make sure he gets it. Cause there's also memory issues, right? So we don't always remember, but like almost everything that you listed so far um, are, you know, like primary characteristics of an FASD, right? So it's including, there was another one I was thinking of was sensory issues. I have a sensory seeker. So, you know, he's always on a mission to, you know, to have that his senses stimulated. So, you know, that plays in here too, I think. It does. There's a case I consulted on several years ago where that was one factor of many where the individual with FASD would chronically masturbate and engage in just very problematic and unusual behaviors with certain types of objects and the people, the professionals involved in this case dug deeper and there was a sensory component of that going on as well. But again, I want to be very sensitive. This is a tough topic. There's some tough subjects we're covering today. So I really want to just make sure everyone is aware of that and just be aware that again, the majority of people that FASD with the right supports and services are not going to engage in this deep, dark, inappropriate sexual behavior. But again, there is a subgroup of folks that are on the spectrum 
that do, but there's a, usually a lot of layers behind that as well that could drive that. Because, and some of this, you know, is that normal teenage, you know, the hormones are raging and there's that curiosity and that interest going on. That's normal. But when you put that, you know, pair that with, you know, all of the things that we were just talking about, the, the dismaturity, the social emotional age being much younger, impulsivity, um, you know, all those executive function issues you listed, the confabulation, um, you know, just understanding consent and, you know, all of those things, just that's where it gets scary because it could be an innocent thing, not intentional, you know, you know, sexual predator stuff. But because all of a sudden they're now of age, you know, 17, 18, it's, it's, a, it's a game changer when it comes to legal things. And we want to keep our kids safe and we want everybody else to be safe that they encounter. Um, so I know this is, this is a huge concern. So uh, before we get to the things that we can do, I know you wanted to touch on abstract concepts because that plays into this as well. Yeah, and before I say that too, you brought up a good point. Just other things that can accelerate this, drug and alcohol misuse. If the person with FASD has also sustained uh, other types of head trauma throughout life, maybe because of abuse. So ruling out extensive trauma histories on top of prenatal alcohol exposure, attachment issues. So all of these things can complicate and it can really be tricky with intervention and screening. So I would definitely encourage your audience to take a look or listen to some of those other podcasts where we've dug deeper into attachment and trauma and all of those things. It's imperative. So abstract thinking, abstract reasoning, such a huge topic. Some researchers say this is the most kind of ultimate higher order functioning that human beings possess. And people with FASD have profound deficits, typically in abstract reasoning. Abstract reasoning relates to cause and effect. Again, what do I do now and how that may impact me in a minute from now, a year from now, or the rest of my life? People with abstract reasoning deficits are going to probably have a difficult time processing and interpreting and understanding and using complex data and complex concepts. So take that into account when you're teaching a skill or doing an intervention. They can have a real hard time seeing the forest through the trees and understanding similarities and differences between certain types of events or situations because that can lead to breakdowns in then that person struggling with rule following, um, just understanding laws. If someone's in the criminal justice system and they have abstract reasoning deficits, they're typically going to have a very difficult time understanding what an oath is or a plea or all of those things. That can be a really foreign concept. Concepts of money and time can be very tricky. So that age of consent, what does that truly mean for someone with FASD? The person's 18 or 16 or 21 or 12. Sometimes that does not mean a lot to someone with an FASD brain, especially if they're dealing with some of these concepts. Policies, procedures, practices, those can all be abstract concepts. So if we're not breaking these things down 
and chunking them out, a lot of times these folks slip through the cracks. And regardless of what topic we're talking about, if you're trying to help someone with FSD be successful in school or keep a job or find a job, teaching them these skills can be helpful in any type of strategy. Problem solving relates to this. So if someone is dealing with profound problem solving deficits, if we're not taking into account their abstract reasoning abilities, we're absolutely missing the mark. Generalization and learning skills in new settings and then being able to apply them to different contexts, that if someone can do that well, they probably have pretty good abstract reasoning. If someone has a real difficult time taking what they've learned from their counselor or therapist and then bringing that information and using it out in the real world and there's a breakdown there that's a pretty good sign that they probably have some level of abstract reasoning so it's very important when we teach any skill or intervention again i say this i think in some of our other podcasts if you're teaching it in a controlled setting and they master that skill, that's great. But the true test is how are they using that on the playground, at home, on the bus, on the job, without supports? And a lot of times the individual slips through the cracks. Abstract reasoning deficits can also contribute to higher levels of self-esteem issues, social skill deficits, task completion issues. So if someone has a real hard time staying on task and never accomplishing their goals. That's a red flag indicator. And if the person continually is always trying and trying and trying, but they never seem to get it and they can't seem to grasp it, look through this lens, I think we're gonna be in much better position. Back to the inappropriate sexual behavior. If we take out FASD out of the equation and just look at general, factors that are associated with people that engage in inappropriate sexual behavior. The research leans to the fact that intimacy deficits are higher, problems empathizing with others are higher and that perspective taking, higher histories of trauma in their background, insecure attachment patterns are much more higher, higher levels of social skill limitations and social emotional competency deficits, more cognitive brain-based impairments, more negative affective states as well. So higher levels of anxiety, depression, and loneliness have also been reported among people that engage in inappropriate sexual behavior. And if we look at some of the psychosocial factors as well, psychosocial, so we think of like psychology, social, kind of just our social skills, Looking at that literature, now this is not necessarily specific FASD, but I see elements of this that it's important for us to be aware of. Feeling lack of power, just feeling like they have no control of their life. That's been reported higher among individuals who engage in inappropriate sexual behavior. Fear of rejection, socially isolated, that's been higher. Dysfunctional family systems are higher. Again, all these things, it's different for every case, but as a whole, the research leans to the fact it's higher. The person may have not ever had any sex education classes or 
just talking about what constitutes appropriate and healthy sexual behavior. Maybe they were around a caregiver or some sort of role model who exhibited very inappropriate behavior to them. Looking at their screen time habits again, what are they doing online? Are they exposed to very inappropriate things? And now this person is very gullible and naive and just kind of mimicking these things now and acting these things out in the real world. Sandra, any thoughts on that before I jump back into FASD specific? Only that even a lot of those, you know, general population and the psychosocial stuff, a lot of that even applies to individuals, kids with an FASD who have come through the child welfare system, foster care, um, you know, mine came from overseas orphanages. So a lot of these things come into play with them as well on top of the FASD. Yep, it does. It, it, there's a lot of layers to it. It's multifactorial. I, I don't think, I think it's near impossible to say if someone with FASD is engaging in sexually inappropriate behavior, it's because of that one reason. If you dig deeper, at least everything I know in every case I've consulted on, it's a multitude of factors that converge. So some things to think about if you are a caregiver or a professional, regardless if it's inappropriate sexual behavior or any kind of problematic behavior, what do we want to do? What do we want to be aware of? Just keep in the back of our mind that could be exacerbating this, influencing it on some level. What is the person's level of judgment like? So just start there, looking through that developmental and emotional lens. What factors are playing into this in terms of comorbidities? Psychiatric issues, trauma histories, attachment problems. Is there any substance misuse at play? Does this person know how to manage their intense emotions? So is there some emotional regulation issues going on there and they don't know how to self-soothe and calm their mind? So really looking at this through a self-control, self-regulation and impulse control lens. Is there anything going on in that person's family environment or their friendship network that could be a factor? Are they in an environment where they're exposed to inappropriate sexual behavior or images, or are they allowed to watch movies or go online and look at very problematic things that now they're learning this behavior? So is it kind of a learned behavior and they're starting to mimic it? That abstract reasoning, the cause and effect, we need to take that into account. Is the person starting to demonstrate some antisocial tendencies where there is some criminal behavior elements going on? Maybe there's some moral reasoning deficits at play and the person is now starting to engage in other inappropriate behaviors. They're starting to engage in criminal activity. What's their friendship network like? Are they starting to steal? Are they starting to engage in violent behavior? Something to take into account as well. Level of shame, level of self-worth, self-esteem, I think is very, very important to take into account. The theory of mind deficits, so important to consider their, their level of perspective taking and understanding their social skills, their social skill limitations, 
those are just a few things I you'd want to consider. I think anytime you're talking about any kind of inappropriate behavior, but again, I think when you're working with someone with FASD, I try to always look through a trauma lens, an attachment lens, an executive functioning lens. What's their level of suggestibility like? Are they highly gullible? Do they have a history of confabulation? Most people with FASD deal with many of those issues, if not all of those issues. So that is very, very important to look through that lens, I think, when we're working with this population or anyone with a neurodevelopmental disorder. And I can cover a little bit on self-regulation if you'd like me to go a little bit deeper into that, Sandra, or if you have any other questions you want me to go a little bit deeper into. Um, we, if, if we have time, we can dive into that. But I, what I, what I, you know, I know what I find myself thinking is, so tell me what to do, right. To prevent it, because everything you listed is basically, like I mentioned earlier, primary characteristic of FASD. I, you know, I've heard those statistics too. You said 49% of individuals can get into trouble, um, with sexually inappropriate behavior, and as a mom of, uh, of teen boys, this frightens me. Uh, and, you know, we don't want anything bad to happen to our kids and we don't want anything bad to happen to anyone else, right? Other, other children, girls, anyone. So what do we do as parents? What should we be doing to help our kids to keep them and everybody else safe? Learn as much as you can about all these topics. Find a network of professionals who understand this topic as well. Form, I think, your multidisciplinary team because not one professional can manage all of these and understand all of these topics. I don't think we're going to go wrong looking through a trauma lens and understanding the impact and role trauma plays. Utilizing trauma-informed care approaches attachment-based interventions, I think it's imperative too, I think, to really look at this through an executive functioning lens. So learning executive functioning skills, which are kind of rooted more in coaching and modeling and teaching and role-playing. Therapy is great, but insight-based therapeutic approaches oftentimes don't work to their best ability with someone with FASD and partially related to those abstract reasoning deficits. And when someone has abstract reasoning deficits, really understanding how and why questions can be very, very tricky. Take into account their adaptive functioning capabilities too, how they function day-to-day life. Because if the therapist or whoever's working with the individual is only working with them in an office setting where it's very structured and confined, that could mask that person's true deficits. So again, how does that person function in the real world without these supports and services in place? Suggestibility, gullibility, confabulation, naivete have to be considered. Focusing on, I think, strengthening self-regulation, and that can be done through executive functioning strategies, promoting more like self-monitoring and self-management strategies. There's a whole bunch of literature out there on that. Increased perspective taking. So taking a look at some of the theory of mind literature related to increasing perspective taking. There's a lot of good information out there on that. 
helping people learn emotional self-regulation as well. So helping them learn more distress tolerance. So teaching that person not to run away from those scary emotions. Cause a lot of times I always hear this, oh, I don't want to talk about it because it makes me mad. That's not a bad thing. Learning how to handle their anger and their frustration and irritability more effectively and helping them lean into that emotion and be curious and not run from it and stuff it. Emotional suppression over the long haul, that stuff comes out in our body. It can hurt our stomach, our head, our sleep. It can have an impact on our skin. I mean, so helping get that emotional, being able to talk about it. Impulse control, conflict resolution, teaching them how to delay gratification and not acting on it immediately. Those are strategies we'd want to consider. If you're working with this population too, take into account most of the time they're going to probably have slower processing speed. So if you're talking fast and asking them a lot of questions, maybe it's multi-step questions or you're asking them to multitask, that is very, very bad for an FASD brain. Because think of it, all that information for someone that has slow processing speed, think of it as a bottleneck or a traffic jam. And that information just piles up and up and up in that person's brain. And they don't have enough time to filter through it and make sense of it. And what happens, it can shut their brain down and they can become overloaded. And you could see a fight or flight kind of response where they maybe run away and get really loud or boisterous or irritable. You could see where they shut down and become very lethargic and non-responsive. It can overwhelm their working memory and it can lead to sensory processing issues as well. So be aware of information processing speed. You also want to be aware of their communication and comprehension abilities too. So just because you ask them a question and the person gives a good smile and a head nod, then I get it. Did you fact check and verify? A lot of times people with FASD are really good at masking their deficits by giving the outward impression that they know exactly what you're talking about when in fact they have no clue what they just agreed to. Fact check and verify and don't rely on yes or no questions or forced choice questions, true and false. That's not good either. And for with this population, there is some evidence to support the fact that you, you we might see more hearing deficits in this population that go undetected. So have you ever had the person meet with a medical doctor to rule out any hearing impairment, which could be one layer of communication and comprehension issues as well. Choice making, that's another area that I'm doing more and more work in. There's not a lot of this in the FASD literature. You'll see it pop up a little bit, but it is, it, it's pretty frequent in literature related to autism and brain injuries and ADHD. But if you're doing an intervention and that person has choice making deficits, that could be a red flag indicator that they're dealing with executive functioning and problem solving and decision making. So take that into account whenever you're teaching a skill. 
and I'm a big fan of scaffolding based interventions. So really understanding scaffolding, this is not necessarily specific to FASD, but there are some articles that talk about scaffolding as a good instructional kind of approach to help people with FASD learn more effectively. And if your audience isn't familiar with like what is scaffolding, it's really taking a skill or whatever intervention you're trying to teach and you're breaking it down, you're chunking it out, you're making it more manageable. You're providing more guided instruction. You're not just, hey, here you go, figure it out. You're chunking it out, you're giving examples, you're teaching it by modeling it, giving them an opportunity to practice, but then come back to the table, talk through it, do it over and over again. Maybe you're using more visual aids. You are not, you're not enabling the individual. You don't want to do that, but you want to walk alongside them, kind of be that external brain, external coach, uh, a good cheerleader, whatever you want to call it, a mentor, but you're helping them have good task persistence and not throwing in the towel, but you're, you may be starting with the easiest task first. Because a lot of times when people with FASD, FASD get overwhelmed, they'll throw in the towel and just, I'm done, I can't do it. Start small. Mm -hmm. Look for opportunities to promote positive growth, scaffolding, excellent strategy use. Metacognition, absolutely study metacognition. Executive function CEO of the brain Metacognition is the boss of the CEO. So you got the CEO of the company running day-to-day -day operations. You got the silent partner who's the owner of the company. That's metacognition. That's our ultimate executive function. Metacognition is related to thinking about thinking and knowing about knowing. And there's actually some studies that talk about utilizing metacognition-based approaches with people with FASD. And a lot of what I've talked about relates to this, but again, you're using step-by-step -step instructions. You are trying to pair oral instructions with visual cues. So you're using visuals, but you're also talking about it, but then you maybe actually practice the skill in a real world environment, not just in a, a, a nice office setting or at the home. Metacognition skills also may use like assisted technology. So maybe you're using like computers or graphic organizers to help keep track of things that can be helpful. You always wanna allow extra time. So take the time, slow the pace down, all these things can be very, very helpful. And the last thing I'll say with teaching any kind of intervention or skill, individualize the approach to that person. Everybody with FAS who has an FASD has different experiences, different hobbies, skills, interests, weaknesses. So we want to get to know that person on a deep level. And we don't want to have a key cutter approach. We really want to individualize whatever we're doing to that individual's unique life experience. Focus on self-worth, I think. Improving self-worth, self-esteem, self-efficacy, 
helping that person have more internal locus of control rather than that external locus of control. When you set up a goal plan intervention, make sure you have realistic expectations too. Don't set it too, too high. Look to the long-term. Maybe someone without an FASD can accomplish that goal in a few weeks. Someone with an FASD brain may need a few months, a few years. Who knows? Anything, anytime we can reduce stress with this and reduce confusion and chunking the intervention out into more manageable tasks, that's going to be very, very helpful. Continually monitoring what's working and what's not. Don't be afraid to go back to the drawing table and say, you know, this isn't working. Let's reevaluate. Bring the team together. You were communicating, we're sharing resources. And taking into account all those things I said before, the, the attachment, the executive function, the abstract reasoning, the confabulation, the suggestibility, that's where I would say if you do those things, it's going to help, in my opinion. Wow, so much stuff. And I know one thing popped into my, my mind when you were when you're talking about these things and, and you mentioned communication deficits, because as I was teaching my son and I was talking about inappropriate uh, behavior, you know, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. And of course, he's always saying, I know, I know, I know. And then it dawned on me to ask him, do you know what inappropriate means? And he was like, no. <laughs> so, you know, he, he didn't even know, you know, so I had to explain, well, inappropriate is, you know, is, is not good. It's, 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 you know, bad versus appropriate is right and good, you know? So, um, you know, sometimes we're, we're not realizing that, you know, even the words that we're using, they're not really comprehending. So when you're trying to communicate important information to them and teach them something, you have to do it really on their level and make sure they understand the words. I agree. Yep. And to consider memory in that moment, the person might have all the best intentions in mind and a day later, gone, they forgot about it repetition, practicing in, in different settings as well. Very, very important. Yeah. So now I have teenage boys, but really what age, what physical age or chronological age should parents start having these conversations about appropriate sexual behaviors and things like that with our, with our kids, especially our kids with FASD? Because we can't wait till they're teenagers and something happens, we have to be proactive, I would believe. I hate to say a specific age. It's so individualized. And again, maybe you have a 16-year-old child with FASD chronologically, but they're functioning at a five-year-old right now. Is that the appropriate time? Probably not. Finding a good counselor, a therapist, a network, getting a good evaluation looking at what domains of functioning are working, helping to use that information and data to make more guided informed decisions would be recommended. I hate the kick the can down the road. I can't say a specific age, but I think if you, regardless of the age, if you start utilizing attachment-based approaches and trauma-informed approaches and executive functioning approaches, I feel pretty comfortable saying start that early on in life. One other thing too, and I'm not saying this relates to inappropriate sexual behavior per se, but 
consulting with a medical doctor, a nutritionist too, looking at sleep health, looking at nutritional interventions, anything we can do to strengthen that person's brain and body and their gut, that's all going to lead to better improved outcomes, I hope, for the lifespan as well. There's not a lot of research literature, a lot of books written on this topic specific to FASD, but you're going to find a ton related to autism. So studying that literature as well, there are things in the autism literature and inappropriate sexual behavior that absolutely relate to what I'm talking about today. So there's workbooks out there, different things you can find online. Study other types of neurodevelopmental disorders in relation to sexually inappropriate behaviors as well. That's going to be helpful. And if you're noticing trends and patterns and red flag indicators in your child where they're starting to demonstrate these problematic behaviors, you're noticing little subtle things, seek the help of a professional right away. I think, too, getting this early intervention as soon as possible is going to be very helpful. Yeah, because it's not a matter of if they behave sexually appropriate or not, but really when, right? When, how, where, who? So we we have to be proactive in, I think, I believe caregivers, parents have to, like you said, research it, study it, learn everything we can and and apply all of these things, the trauma, the attachment, all of those things. Um, so, so important. Um, I know, Jarrett, we have to wrap up, but you mentioned some resources. So, um, can you recommend any resources on this topic was what I was going to ask you, but you, you've, you've mentioned that we can kind of Google your name, Google, um, you know, if you have specific articles, we could even uh, put those in the show notes. So that way our listeners can actually find them really easy so that they can learn more on this topic. I will email you some links to different things I've done related to this topic, and you're welcome to share them with anyone you'd like. Wonderful. We'll make sure because I know I, I myself am very interested and I want to learn more. Uh, and I'll, we'll make sure that our listeners can find that too. So Dr. Brown, thank you so much for tackling this awkward subject with us. Um, you know, I know when we got the diagnosis 11 years ago, the developmental pediatrician basically handed us a diagnosis, mumbled something about life skills and money management, and then basically said, have a nice day. Uh, we got zero resources. Had We didn't know what we didn't know. I did some online research, you know, like us parents do, but there really wasn't that much out there, especially back then. Uh, and, and what was there was scary. So I tended to like, ah, I don't want to hear it. Um, but I've basically had to learn a lot of this on my own to address issues as they came up. So I'm grateful for the books and the podcasts and the trainings that are available out there now for parents and caregivers. And of course, I am grateful uh, to you again for providing so much invaluable information really as we as we have these conversations. I know next week we're going to be talking about trauma and executive function. Um, so important. I can't wait to cover that. Um, so thank you again, Jarrett, for um, sharing your expertise again with us today. You're welcome. And thank you. Look forward to our next talk. Same here. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that bonus episode with Dr. Jared Brown. Um, vital, vital information um, that we're diving deep into at my house. So I hope that you found it 
um, to be important for your journey. And, and we'll put those resources that the doctor mentioned in the show notes for this show. Um, I hope you will join us again next week. Our next bonus episode with Dr. Brown is on trauma and executive function. I love how he describes the executive function part of the brain is the boss of the brain. And with FASD, that's a huge, um, has a huge impact. So stay tuned. You won't want to miss that. Um, Thank you so much for being with us on this series with the doctor. Uh, Remember our regular episodes drop on Mondays. Be sure to catch those. Um, Since September is International FASD Awareness Month, all of our September regular episodes are focusing on FASD as well. Um, It's a topic every adoptive foster and kinship caregiver needs to know about, along with the trauma-informed care. Um, So if you have a question for Dr. Brown or for myself, again, you can email me, sandraflackjfo at gmail.com. So we can answer your questions by email or even perhaps address it on the podcast um, if if you'd like. So if you enjoyed this show, be sure to let us know by subscribing if you're not yet a subscriber and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen to the show and be encouraged and equipped too. As I mentioned in my conversation um, with Dr. Brown, we were given zero resources uh, when my boys were diagnosed. And now we want to provide resources and support to parents and caregivers struggling along this journey. Um, So just sharing what we've learned and the knowledge that I've gained. Uh, We're offering uh, an intro to FASD training. I had been calling it FASD 101. We've changed the name. It's intro to FASD. We're offering it online or in person. It's a 90-minute training about FASD for parents and professionals. Uh, We will be offering intro to FASD uh, online this October. Uh, We haven't nailed down the date yet, but you can check out our website for details and you'll know when that's available. So you can register for that. Uh, And in the coming months, of course, we will be adding our facets workshops. We have a three-hour facets workshop um, and also the the 18-hour, which is the six three-hour work sessions that is really our deep dive into the facets neurobehavioral model. So that will be coming up in the beginning of the new year. Um, You can learn about all of our trainings at justicefororphansny.org. Also, I'm super excited and we're just a couple weeks away from our very first support group meeting. Natalie Vecchione of FASD Hope Podcast and I are collaborating together to bring you Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for us caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. If you just think it's something you're dealing with, you're welcome to join us. This faith-based community will include an online bi-monthly support group. So we're getting together twice a month in the support group set up through Zoom. Um, And then we also have a third meeting each month, which is our VIP conversation. Uh, And we also have a private Facebook group that you'll be able to uh, communicate with the community and Natalie and I, and she and I are going to take turns offering Saturday devotional 
uh, a video devotional on the Facebook page. Um, so just lots of ways you can feel supported and equipped for your journey uh, to join the community or to learn more about it. Again, you can go to our website, justicefororphansny.org. Click the training tab at the top of the page and you'll see in the drop down FASD. Click FASD and that will take you to all of our FASD resources, including the community. September is International FASD Awareness Month. We want to make this invisible disability visible. JFO is an FASD United Affiliates, just one of two organizations in all of New York State to contact for FASD resources, supports, and advocacy. We're also a platinum sponsor of Run FASD, a virtual 5K. You can run, walk, or roll anytime, anywhere during the month of September. Uh, we're also hosting a local meetup um, on September 10th here in my area. Um, but to learn all about how you can participate and what to do, you can go to runfasd.org. Also, don't forget to check out my book, I uh, just won an award at, for memoir of the year, which I'm still in shock about and honored and so excited. But it's uh, the name of the book is Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It is about my family's adoption uh, story, international adoption, kinship, uh, our whole journey, why, how, uh, what we learned after everybody came home, trauma, attachment, FASD, all the fun stuff. And I also talk about what I learned about our spiritual adoption as children of God through the lens of being an adoptive parent. So you can check it out. You can find it wherever books are sold. If you um, grab a copy on Amazon, please leave me a review. Um, if you'd like a signed copy with a free gift bookmark, you can order that from my personal website, sandraflack.com. Um, also, a shout out to our business sponsors that help JFO do what we do. Uh, Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Koksaki, and Cullman Insurance Agency. These businesses care about children and families in crisis. Be sure to follow Justice for Orphans on Facebook and Instagram. I am there my, as well. You can find me at Sandra Flack, both on Facebook and Instagram. And if you stayed till this very last announcement, you know, way to go for sticking in there with me. I know it's long. I know there's a lot of announcements. I just want you to know about all the good stuff. I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today, and I am thrilled to have you along on the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.